0: Have you ever avoided a food because all of a sudden you weren't sure about it? Maybe something you stocked up in your pantry, all of a sudden changed brands, or removed it altogether because of a conversation you had, a new report you watched, or a Facebook post you read had you worried about whether it was good anymore? We've all been there. Well, maybe not always something that fills us with terror. That nagging worry is something you can't ignore forever, and eventually... It impacts what we buy. I'm Andrew Campbell and this is Food Bubble. On today's show, a look at fear when it comes to food. It may not hit us every day, but when you or someone you know picks up grapes labeled non-GMO and gets a feeling, even if just a little one of relief, could it be because they were worried about what was in a GMO grape? Never mind that there actually is no such thing as a GMO grape. What about when you go for organic baby food versus normal baby food? Is it because of a worry about what's in the normal one? Fear is a powerful emotion and it's impacting what we buy and how to go about feeding the family. So the question we aim to answer today is, is that fear rational when it comes to food? Should we be worried? And if so, what should we be worried about? We'll find out from one mom who's been there, worried about everything she gave her son, as well as a woman that's been studying the trends in consumer perceptions for food for years. That's all coming up on Food Bubble.
1: Trillium Mutual Insurance is your ag insurer of choice in Ontario. They're farm insurance professionals who specialize in and understand Ontario agriculture, providing insurance solutions that are the best in the industry. We all know that insurance can be complicated, but does it have to be? Their real Ontario farm insurance brokers make it simple for you, providing the coverage you deserve. To find a broker partner near you, please visit their website, trilliummutual.com, and follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Trillium Mutual.
0: A few weeks ago, I met Julie Gunlock at a conference we were both speaking at. Julie lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband and three boys. And while she works for the Independent Women's Forum today, that's not where her career started. She started it on Capitol Hill.
2: I'd worked um, for a number of... U.S. Senators and U.S. House of Representatives, uh, reps, and um, had a career sort of in policy and again, uh, working uh, up in Congress. And once I had my first child in 2007, I decided to leave that job. It's a very intense, high pressure job, long hours. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to work in that environment when I had my first child. So I quit. And for a while, I was a stay at home mom. During my career, just backing up a little bit, during my career on Capitol Hill, I, I worked on some pretty intense subjects. I was a military legislative aide, I, uh, so I ha- handled defense issues. I also worked on North Korean human rights, so not exactly a uh, it not exactly a mood lifter to, to work on that issue. And then my last job was actually working on the Homeland Security Committee in the Senate. Um, so you know, I was aware of, of some pretty um, pretty hefty issues there, covering some pretty hefty issues. And frankly covering some pretty scary issues and so when I quit that job and became a mom um, you know I consider myself a pretty tough person a pretty tough cookie and I wasn't easily rattled and I sort of had a really sort of logical view of life and um, and again my experience you know how ha- you know actually working on some pretty hefty issues I think had sort of made me kind of tough and um, and then I had this child and <laughs> And something really remarkable happened. I started becoming terrified of just about everything, not actually the big things like, you know, natural disasters and escaped convicts. I was scared of that glass plus was going to poison my child if I used it on the windows, or I was afraid that the baby food that I was giving him was somehow toxic. I was worried about baby formula and became completely obsessed about every possible thing that could come in contact with my child. Um, I actually, to to my great shame, I delayed my child getting some vaccinations um, and was very suspicious of them um, and started to really adopt some conspiratorial thinking. So that is how I fell into this. I actually sort of got myself out of that by reading a lot of uh, like better sources, familiarizing myself with the issues and the activists and understanding that a lot of this was activist driven and not necessarily true. But once I came out of this, what I call the fog of alarmism, it really motivated me to write about these issues and how um, a lot of this isn't true. What women are hearing, what consumers are hearing.
0: As she puts it, getting out of that fog of alarmism is what led her to write a book. From Cupcakes to Chemicals, How the Culture of Alarmism Makes Us Afraid of Everything and How to Fight Back was part of her journey in recognizing all of those fears weren't always necessary. But she also found she was far from the only one.
2: When I first started doing this, writing about this, I was writing just from my own perspective. But then a couple years into it, we decided, my organization, in fact, decided to put some money behind it and do an actual poll. We pulled about 1,000 women mothers um, and tried to get a baseline for how frightened women were. And I remember when we went into this poll, I designed this poll and I designed some of the questions with a really famous polling company, actually, (laughs) At the time, Kellyanne Conway, now the president's assistant, but at the time, Kellyanne Conway was a very famous pollster, and she is the one who ran this poll for the Independent Women's Forum. Um, And at the time that we were designing this poll, I really didn't think we'd get, I mean, I thought we'd definitely show some concerned consumers. I thought women, you know, would be concerned. I could not have, I in no way anticipated the data we got back. And I mean, we're talking 68% of the women polled think the world is becoming a more dangerous place. 86% of women are wildly confused about the information they're getting. They don't know what a good good source from a bad source. Another 60 something percent, I think is 64% feel constant guilt about the food that they're eating. They don't think they are feeding their kids well, which by and large is probably not true. Um, And so it was just really revealing to me Um, just how nervous consumers are.
0: For Crystal Mackay, she sees the worry too. She's the head of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity and among their many jobs, one is to find out what Canadians are thinking when it comes to food and food production
3: really personal right it's a very emotional and personal first and rational distance second so you know it's what you choose to put in your body it's what you choose to feed your children it's a very emotional values-based decision first and people it's also defining for many people I define myself by being a vegetarian I define myself by eating keto or you know uh, whatever the latest trend is that people are it's a very self-defining So it's difficult uh, to quantify where the, the line is between emotion and logic on making these decisions. And I think this is really key to this conversation about food fear. So the easiest thing is to be against something, which is why things like everything free, you know, I want GMO free, antibiotic free, pesticide free, I want everything free because then I don't have to worry about it. So then when science comes back and says, well, there's actually a part per million of something, that raises a flag, even though it's a part per billion.
0: So then, Crystal, you've got the data going back 10 or 15 years on this subject. Are people more worried about food today than they have been in the past? You know, when I look at... Stats and research into public
3: trust in food and concerns over if we put food safety at the top of the the pile, they haven't really escalated. They've stayed pretty static in terms of the concerns and the level of trust in food has stayed fairly static. So I would say the numbers don't point to people being more afraid or less trustworthy of their food today than they were, you know, 15 years ago. I think what we're more aware of is the noise around food fears and concerns. So with social media and online amplification, it's not a food recall that shows up in the newspaper a week later. It's instant and it can be amplified, you know, by a hundred million if a food influencer or a celebrity Decides to make it an issue,
0: and when someone makes it an issue, that's when particular foods or particular ingredients fall into the crosshairs. And Julie Gunlock believes it to fall into a category that every mom thinks of
2: in regulatory policy circles. This is called the precautionary principle, right? And it's basically it's and this is how they regulate in Europe. This is a regulatory regulatory standard in Europe where it's and now what what moms call the precautionary principle is better safe than sorry. Okay. So, um, so you've got a really wonky policy phrase, and then you have what moms ba- basically practice all the time, which is, I would rather keep my kids safe uh, and, and and you know believe this kind of ridiculous conspiracy theory than 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 be sorry, than have my child get sick or have developmental delays or develop autism. All these horrible lies that these activists say. But when an activist says the MMR vaccine causes autism, a lot of women might in the back of their mind go i don't think that's true but you know what i'm going to be sa- i'd rather be safe than sorry i'm going to skip this vaccine when momovation which is a really popular mommy blog site says that you know a certain particular kind of snack food like let's say goldfish or doritos or something that kids enjoy are um that the 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 artificial flavors or the colorings in those and those items can, are are incredibly toxic and can harm your child, a lot of women will then go get Annie's Organic Bunnies, um, which are Momovation approved. And of course, they, they put ads on Momovation's site. Um, and so they'll say, well, you know what, I better be safe than sorry. I don't know that that's true. I've seen a lot of kids eat goldfish. I've seen a lot of kids eat snack foods that have artificial layers, but I'm just going to be safe. than. I'd rather be safe than sorry. And so, this is what is this is what um, happens out there in, in like the in the consumer world. You've got a bunch of you've got a narrative out there that certain products are better than other products, and usually it's the products that are more expensive. Um, and then you've got a bunch of consumers out there, some of whom are well off and can waste their money on things like organic foods. Um, and so, and again. This creates this idea, well, I would rather be safe than sorry in my purchasing habits. And so it's very powerful, and a lot of women just really don't think about it much further than that. They just take the safer, what they view as the safer path.
0: Now, Julie, I get that precautionary principle that some might feel, but I wonder, and maybe this is just me, but are other moms then looking around and thinking, well, if that other parent doesn't think it's good, I don't want them to think poorly of me or me as a parent, so maybe I should avoid it too. Is that feeling part of all this conversation too?
2: It it absolutely does. And what's so sad too is we're starting to see this. There's there's data out showing that people that live at or under the poverty line are even skipping fresh v- fruits and vegetables that are conventionally grown and therefore cheaper um, because they're so afraid of what they're hearing. And so, you know, a lot of health people will say health you know, um, advocates will say, look, just eat fruits and vegetables. Don't stress too much over how they're grown. You know, you just have to eat fruits and vegetables. That's really good advice. But too often, there's so much bad information out there. And there's this idea that organic is better um, or more expensive food is better. And it creates this sort of aspirational shopping thing where people want to shop at the best places and want, and, and really for them, best equals more expensive. And so it's a real problem, and especially for those Who, uh, you know, struggle financially, Um, they might be skipping healthy foods um, in favor of less healthy foods because they're
0: afraid. Going back through some of the data, though, and back to Krista Mackay, they are even using new tools to try to figure out what some of these conversations are. With our
3: work at the Centre for Food Integrity, you know, we spend all our time trying to study consumers and have a better understanding of what's driving their motivations and values and, and how they feel. And our, our newest research, which was social listening, which was um, artificial intelligence, powered tool that actually measures and quantifies qua- conversations that are happening online. So unlike traditional research where we ask a question, or how concerned are you about GMOs? It was mapping out what people are actually saying online. And we came up with some significantly different results. So for example, the number one topic that related to farming that Canadians were speaking about, um, and this was you know over the last two years, was climate change. And, you know, in all my experience and the circles you run in as well in agriculture communications, we're not really packaging up our information into climate change or only a very small percentage of it. And then when we looked at the hot topics, so that was, you know, two and a half million conversations on climate change. Then we look at hotter topics like the antibiotics or pesticides that we are always um, concerned that make sure that we're addressing. Those are in the hundreds of thousands of conversations, not the two and a half million. So I think... Uh, this value of measuring what consumers are actually talking about and what their sentiment is, and then making sure that we're part of those conversations versus just focusing on um, you know, where the fire is.
0: Now, Crystal, when you talk to Canadians and all of these issues, how many do you think are worried about some of the specifics, whether that be GMOs, maybe pesticides, or any number of others that people become worried about?
3: You know, I often think back to a study that was commission about 10 years ago, that was kind of a literature review of all the consumer research in the world, basically, you know, not necessarily exhaustive, but all the big pieces of consumer literature in the world around consumer attitudes towards food and farming. And what it found was 94% of consumers are food buyers. They want healthy, affordable food. Then about 4% were elite food buyers. So money's no object. Um, You know, the more labels, the better, right? The money's in the adjectives, right? That they want our food has a story and, you know, price it accordingly. And then 2% in that critic rule of, um, you know, people that are against something and really loud about it. So those, those are pretty extreme numbers, but I think our data would support... You know, without having those kinds of categories to say healthy, affordable food is still the most important thing to Canadians. Food safety is not an issue because it's an expectation. Nobody ever goes into the grocery store and worries about if anything they're going to buy is going to make them sick. So we expect and our consumers deserve healthy, affordable, safe food here in Canada. The other issues are definitely secondary.
0: When you break it apart, though, and dig into more of those issues, for Julie, what trumps the concerns for most people in mind? Any use of technology when it comes to food.
2: These are all great things, both for the environment and for prices, because if yield goes up, that means the prices are going to be lower. And so what frustrates me is that, um, is that as we march forward, as technology um, and innovation really create um, you know, better farming methods, Uh, Better growing methods. You have groups that constantly are calling for a regressive state. You know where these these innovations aren't used, and it bothers me tremendously. I think that it really um, hampers um, you know uh, scientists, even willingness. Now they're being attacked if they do this research. Certain scientists are being attacked. Crops are being you know um, when they test these crops, they're being you know attacked by activists, and then farmers, of course, are. Accused of some pretty monstrous things, like not caring about the earth and not caring about people and intentionally harming people. So I, I think the, I think I, you know, I yes, there are specific concerns. There's concerns about life There's concerns about GMO. But I would say the overall sort of umbrella capturing all of that is, an, is, is, um, sort of a, a resistance to accept progress and change and innovation and modernization in the ag sector.
0: So then, Julie, you had these concerns and fears. How did you end up getting out of it?
2: Well, it was a really—it was a combination of things. Because my fear was not just about ag. My fear, as I had mentioned, I was afraid of vaccinations. I was afraid of my children developing some sort of vaccine-related injury. I was very, and that was one of the things that started it. Where I needed—I needed for my own sort of mental health to get better educated on these subjects, and so I started looking at the medical community and relying on doctors and nurses and better educated people, not just some mom who has a feeling about something or Oprah Winfrey or Jenny McCarthy or the other, the various other nuts out there who were complaining about vaccines. I also educated myself on the the sort of the father of the modern anti-vaccine movement, which is Andrew Wakefield, who I learned had lost his medical license was was um, and was found to be, to have fraudulently um, uh, done his study. It was interesting. Once I learned all that stuff, that sort of I could see things crumbling one by one. Then I started to examine the GMO issue and I started to follow farmers, true farmers, like nurse Loves farmers, Sarah Schultz. Excellent. She was so helpful in sort of ma- help helping me to understand. She's a Canadian, you know, obviously Canadian. Uh, she's a nurse and, and a, the wife of a farmer at, and and her her information was tremendously helpful to me. Amanda's a lucky um, farmer's daughter. These are these are farmers who are also or they're you know uh, relatives of farmers who are um, very much in the farming community and can educate can in a very educated way talk about farming. That was very helpful to me to really understand better sources. Kevin Fulta, who's the famous scientist, University of Florida. And so I think for me, and I've said this before, um, it wasn't necessarily. Um, just changing the information and relying on better sources. But it was exactly that figuring out almost like honing my detector. I won't say it's a family friendly podcast. I won't say, but you know, it starts with a B, <laughs> uh, you know, bull blank uh, detector. I sort of um, was able to um, understand when it, when an activist was speaking or with someone with uh, an agenda an anti-farming agenda um, versus someone who genuinely
3: wanted to inform.
0: And for Crystal, she's had conversations that follow that same path before, many of them in fact.
3: First of all, you know, whenever, and people ask me this, like consumers, if we're, you know, at an event or I have an opportunity to just talk to people, you know, in social settings and they ask me what I do, you know, they're like, what do you think about Canadian milk or Canadian food and or food in general? Is there anything you won't eat? I get asked that one, you know, I'm like, Brussels sprouts, I'm not a big fan of Brussels sprouts, but no offense to the Brussels sprouts growers, so if you throw some bacon in, I'll consider it. Um, but I say to you know in these conversations I'm like we have amazing food in Canada we have an amazing food safety and we have an amazing food inspection system there's nothing that you should be able to walk into a grocery store and pick off the shelf that's grown in Canada that you shouldn't feel confident that it's safe and high quality so that's the base Um, in terms of this topic around fear and guilt I think those are two words we can't forget Uh, for those of us who talk about agriculture and food on a regular basis. And it's our job or we're in the industry. We talk about issues and commodities and markets and, you know, we're, that's all logical words. So we, I feel we can all do a better job on both sides of the equation, trying to bridge between the logic and the emotion to say, if you don't address the emotional needs and address, feelings like fear or guilt, it doesn't matter how many scientific papers. You can pile 20 scientific journals worth of data. You will never achieve
0: your goal. So the end result, it sounds like fear in food isn't always reasonable, but then again, a lot of fears aren't. If you want out of that treadmill of fear, Julie's advice is go after experts in the field who actually study it, not just write about it or sell an alternative to it. And if you happen to be a farmer or someone processing food, Crystal says it well, science won't matter unless you first realize the role emotion plays for every single consumer.
1: Want to know more about where your food comes from in Canada? Farmfood360.ca gives you a 360-degree view of Canadian agriculture. There are dozens of videos featuring real Canadian farmers answering your questions about food, farming, and how it's all connected. You can even take virtual tours and see exactly what it's like to live and work on different Canadian farms. To learn more about Canadian agriculture, visit Farmfood360.ca. Who really cares about what you eat? You do and these 200-plus food experts. Bestfoodfacts.org connects you with leading university experts on food and farming in North America. With over 500 questions answered and new content weekly, it's a dependable source available across all social channels. Get the details you want from credible people who've dedicated their entire careers to the study of food. You care about what you eat, so take time to digest the facts. Visit bestfoodfacts.org today.
0: Food Bubble is produced by Jess Campbell, Jess Nicholson, and Ashley Ferrero, and put together here at Fresh Air Media. It's a show where we love to talk about food, and if you've got a question or you happen to be worried about something yourself, let us know and we'll dig into it. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by the handle Fresh Air Farmer. We've also got a number of videos on YouTube that take you on a trip through various farms. That channel name happens to be Fresh Air Farmer as well. And finally, if you happen to be listening to this through our website, we can try to make it easier for you so every new episode is downloaded automatically. If you have an iPhone or iPad, just search Food Bubble in the Apple Podcast app. If you're using a device that uses Android, you can download Google Podcast or Spotify. And again, search Food Bubble. All of our episodes are there to date. And once you hit the subscribe button, you'll find every new episode downloaded straight to your device so you'll never have to miss out. Thanks for listening. We'll chat food again next week.